This is Rabbi Sharon Brous, Rabbi Edikar, where we are dedicated to reinvigorating Jewish community, ritual, and learning, all while laying the foundation for a just and loving society. You're listening to Ikar's sermons and talks, just the good stuff. We hope you'll enjoy. Thank you for your support. It's a particularly sweet honor for, for me to get to introduce Rabbi Cheryl Peretz, who's going to be delivering some words of Torah. And it's particularly meaningful um, to be calling you up in this moment. You know, this community has been um, closely tracking and holding you as you've undergone such a terrifying and perilous health ordeal with multiple brain surgeries. And the fact that today on this Shabbos, you're going to be standing up in front of the community and delivering words of Torah is, is both a, a sign of the healing that you've done and the great strength and courage and resilience that you've exemplified. Um, I, I just, I want to share just a very short Rabbi Peretz story. Uh, so, you know, I think many of you know Rabbi Peretz is one of the, the deans and teachers at the Ziegler Rabbinical School where uh, myself, Rabbi Tzadok, uh, got our smicha, became rabbis, which means that uh, we, along with so many folks around town, both rabbis and non-rabbis alike, have benefited from the, the wisdom and the, and the intentionality and the deep learning that Rabbi Peretz herself has done and then has offered to her students and community. And I'm thinking today about a particular meeting that we had in between my first and second year of rabbinical school. I had just finished a unit of clinical pastoral education at the hospital, UCLA hospital in Santa Monica. And I came into your office to, to think a little bit about what, what had happened that summer and the role that I was asked to play in, in this hospital setting. And I remember saying to you, Rabbi Peretz, gosh, I love visiting the non-Jewish patients. It's, <laughs> it's so amazing to pray with them. There's, there's this ability to find extemporaneous and spontane spontaneous prayer. And it really feels like the work of the heart. And I, and I think I want to go all in on spontaneous, extemporaneous prayer. And, and, and you said to me, yes, yes, there is, there's great beauty and wisdom. And, and the Jewish people could probably use a little bit more of that. Um, but don't give up on our liturgy. Don't give up on our text. Don't give up on the incredible wisdom that's found in our own prayers for healing and our own texts about emerging from illness. And you didn't just say that to me in that moment. You have lived that the last six months plus, that you have continued to be our teacher throughout this ordeal, and you've continued to connect what you've been going through to our liturgy and to our tradition. And you know, you have shared with, with many of us how meaningful it was to hear your name recited as part of the Mishaberach, or just to engage in the, in the prayer for healing, the Mishaberach Lecholim, as a way of, of feeling connected to community and feeling connected to God as part of a healing journey. And so thank you for continuing to be our teacher throughout these past six months, and of course, before and beyond, and for modeling what it looks like, even amidst the experience you were going through to anchor yourself and to anchor those around you in the world of prayer and in the world of Jewish wisdom. So without further ado, Rabbi Cheryl Peretz. Thank you. Shabbat Shalom. 
It is uh, quite an honor to get to stand on the same bima with you, Rabbi Panitz and uh, Rabbi Kesher. And, um, and actually, I have two things to say before I start talking. The first is that I'm now convinced that they asked me to speak today so that we could make sure we kept a streak of making sure it wasn't only male rabbis on our bima, because um, that's naughty car's way. Um, and the second thing that I want to say is let those of you who were here last week will remember that Rabbi Kasher made a really long and passionate introduction to his sermon about how much there was to talk about in Kitisa and how, um, you know, even four years ago, and then again this year, he wished he was talking about it. And I'm still gonna leave that for you to talk about because I'm not gonna talk about Kitisa today. But when he asked, called me and asked me to speak this morning, he said something kind of a little off the cuff, which is exactly what Rabbi Panitz just reinforced, which is it would be so powerful to hear you speak um, uh, now, given what you've uh, been through. And so I wanted to um, really share with all of you the Torah that has been walking with me these last five months feels like six months, <laughs> but it's actually been about five months actually to the day. And, um, and that's what I wanna share this morning. So I wanna begin with this story. This is a story that's told of a really small, isolated, small Jewish community in the old world where the Jews, like the Jews of the rest of the world, were waiting for the Mashiach to come, were waiting for the Messiah. But being really far and really remote, they were convinced and worried that the Mashiach wouldn't be able to find them because they were in the forest, excesses of the world. And so they decided what they needed to do was they needed to build a tower and hire a watchman to wait to watch for the Mashiach to come. So they built the tower and they started searching for someone to uh, work as the watchman, uh, whatever the equivalent of indeed.com was at the time. And they eventually found someone and they offered him the job and being a really smart person and likely learning lessons from generations that would come in the future, this proposed watchman decided he should negotiate. And so he talked to the uh, representative of the city and he said, wait, I don't understand. Like the benefits might sound okay, but like, could you up the pay a little bit? And um, the, the town's representative said to him, I, I don't really understand. You know, the, the main thing we want you to know is that you really don't have to worry because the work is really steady and you'll have great job security because it's not like the Mashiach is coming anytime soon. Right? Um, this story, I think, represents something that is true for most Jews today, except for maybe Chabadniks. But most Jews avoid talking about redemption, especially if we're talking about redemption with the capital R. When we talk about that kind of redemption, we're talking about some historical or maybe even hysterical, given what we're told might happen at that time, but this historical moment far in the future when the messianic era will be ushered in by a descendant of David, after which the world will return to the perfection that was in the Garden of Eden. Hatred and bigotry will cease. Humans will live side by side in harmony. God will rule over and everybody will be living according to the Torah's values and pure life. It's a really beautiful image and it's one that I think we should continue to use to inspire our tshuva, our repentance, our hope and our community. But the problem is 
that that moment, that time in the future is so elusive and feels so unattainable, almost as if it was never really meant to be, and certainly not in our lifetime. So as this story tells us, the patrol guard's job security is assured as even Jews in the most remote areas know, it just ain't happening so fast. And yet the Talmud tells us that one of the four questions that God will ask us when we reach heaven is Sipiti Elishua, did you anticipate redemption? Did you wait for it? Did you look for it? Did you work for it? Did you experience it? And so I guess it's actually important to talk about redemption. So today I wanna to talk about the kind of redemption that I think is attainable and is real and is part of what we can awaken ourselves to in the here and now. So I wanna ask you to think back for a moment to last summer. Remember that brief time after we had spent almost a year or more in our homes, closed up, sorry, distance from one another, and we were fearing death and illness. And although we had found new ways to connect with each other on Zoom, even for holidays, it became harder and harder. But last summer, there was that brief moment in time where we actually started seeing people, some of us, where we actually started going out of our homes, some of us even traveling. And as the numbers seemed to have dropped, we thought, all right, we can get back to a little bit of normalcy. We can get back to a little bit of our lives. And people talked of hugging their families, seeing their families for the first time in a year and a half. I imagine you remember those moments, those fleeting moments as blissfully as I did. Actually, in a span of about three weeks, I went to Texas twice to see my family. And it was the first time I had seen any of them in a year and a half. And it really didn't in that moment matter at all that in, in July in Texas, sorry, Michael Lewis, it's 100 degrees and 100% humidity. Michael is getting ready to move there. But the awe and the exuberance that accompanied those newfound moments of movement and connection were freeing for so many of us. And as we sat in restaurants or outside, or as we felt a little bit more comfortable returning to synagogue even, it was amazing. It was freeing and even a little bit redemptive. But the moment was fleeting. The Delta variant came followed by Omicron. We returned to restrictions and distancing and for some, a whole lot of blame, sadness and anger. This continued service, the fact that we have to push ourselves into the shade just to stay um, a little bit cooler, a little bit not in the light, is um, actually a stark example of the fleeting nature of that bliss. That redemption was far too short. And here's the truth. No matter how much we try, we cannot stave off the challenges we've experienced. Some of us have experienced loss of loved ones, Others have struggled with being alone. And yet, amidst the isolation and limits, that feeling of being out and with those we love was invigorating and healing. Not because it ended, but within it. So if we didn't know before, we now certainly know 
that life is never perfect. It's hard. And people are difficult. And living is messy. And life doesn't go according to how we plan it or how we want it to go. We will certainly have our challenges as many of us here have had, and not just because of COVID. Whether it's other illnesses, relationship endings, personal crises, personal struggles, loss, disappointment, that's not even to mention all the things we talk about every week from this, in this holy community of what's happening in the world and the impact that it has on us. So I wonder, what if redemption that our tradition intended was not really meant to be that cataclysmic historical shift, but was about brief and fleeting moments of redemption, moments of goodness and life, light and life that shine within the chaos and within the darkness that invariably shines around, uh, surrounds us. I'm talking about real moments with real meaning that neither could nor should have lasted forever. Moments during which amidst the darkness, we see light and that light helps us navigate whatever we must and wherever we must. And perhaps helps us, helps us emerge with new insights, new strength, new connection, new outlooks. I wanna tell you about how the great philosopher, the Jewish philosopher, Martin Buber explained this. He said it as such that we are often lost in difficult moments of life, but suddenly we feel the touch of a hand. It reaches down to us. It wishes to be grasped. And yet what incredible courage is needed to take that hand, to let it draw us up out of the darkness. This, he says, is redemption. We must recognize that our Redeemer lives, that God wishes to redeem us, but only by our acceptance of God's redemption within the turning of our whole being. Buber's is a deeply personal, intimate, and spiritual approach. So what then, according to that, is redemption? Redemption is a moment of utter clarity moral and personal. Redemption is a moment of seeing something that maybe we never saw before. Redemption is being seen for who we are and by the people who really matter. Redemption is a moment of pure love. Redemption um, is a moment of which the ground beneath us is so firmly planted that just for a moment, we feel totally in balance. Redemption is a moment in which we transcend the normal boundaries and glimpse connections that usher us to a better place. Redemption is a moment and a reminder that while challenges exist and pain is real, loss and hardship are not the whole story. But for just a moment within that chaos, the chaos ceases to be the focus because the light that shines is stronger than that darkness. Redemption is in the small moments of loving energy in this universe that, as Buber says, allows us to feel the touch of a hand reaching down to grasp for us to allow momentary relief from life's challenges. I want you for a moment to think about the original Jewish story of redemption, the exodus from Egypt. I can only imagine like and the exuberance that our people must have felt reaching the lip of the sea on the other side and turning and watching the, the waters 
clothes knowing that they were free. They had been redeemed. Still, it didn't take very long at all for life to become difficult again. And we read of challenge after challenge and complaint after complaint. They complained about the food, about Moses' leadership, about wilderness life. They wandered for 40 years. Does that make the experience of redemption any less significant, any less authentic? I don't think so. Still, this is not the only place in our tradition that teaches of redemption that is momentary and fleeting. Rabbi Panitz mentioned earlier in blessing one of the Aliyot that on Shabbat, we're given an extra soul, the Nishama Yetira, an additional soul, and that, that we are joined together the reality of who we are with the potential of who we can be. And the Spanish commentator from the 13th century, Rabbi Nabachia, says that during the six days of the week, it's as if the soul is merely a guest without a home. But with that extra soul, the soul is like a guest who has found a home. And that invites us into deeper awareness and connection, if only we're awake for its existence and awareness. It doesn't mean the pains of the world stop on Shabbat, but nonetheless, when we take those moments to stop from the hustle and bustle of our techno-obsessed world, and we accept moments, invitations to silence, to memory-making, to around-the-table traditions with loved ones, these are moments of redemption. They are the beckoning of God's hand, asking us to have the courage to grab hold and to celebrate, to feel, to laugh, to think, to dream. And yet it's temporary. That soul departs us when we do Havdalah tonight. It doesn't make that experience any less authentic or any less real. In fact, it's that very experience that fuels us with the necessary energy and awareness to navigate life's challenges until next Shabbat. One more example. When a Jewish couple stands under the chuppah at the moment of holy union, this too is a moment of redemption. We recite the seven blessings in which in the last one we say, thanking God with joy and happiness who brings about gladness and jubilation and cheer and delight and love and friendship and harmony and fellowship. And then we ask God to speedily in our days, let this be heard in the streets of Jerusalem, that very joy, that very exuberance. It's a direct allusion to the scene imagined when we talk about the great redemption. And yet it's here, right here, right now, right in front of us in the moment under the chuppah. As two people wed, we are implicitly declaring that the cosmos is shaking with that love. We all know that a wedding is a sacred coming together which adds love to the world and thus brings us closer to that future vision of redemption. But that moment is all pure joy, pure love, pure promise, and pure possibility. All those things I said talk, mean redemption. And here's what we know. Any of us who have watched this, have experienced ourselves or read about it or watched movies, doesn't really matter because we all know that the next morning, real life happens. And that the couple wakes up and they have to learn to navigate the challenges. 
as they figure out together family dynamics, world events, transitions, communications, money issues, living together, whatever it might be. And it doesn't mean that the moment under the chuppah didn't happen or is forgotten. In fact, it's the fuel from which the couple is charged to recreate that experience and build upon to strengthen their relationship. So life is messy. We're not promised life's free of pain and suffering, but these moments of redemption, these moments that energize us and remind us that darkness is not all there is, they're real, they're there, they inspire us and they change us. If only we awake to see them, to reach out, to grasp the hand that is reaching down towards us. As Rabbi Panitz said, and many of you know here today, this isn't simply Torah I'm espousing to you. It's truly the Torah that I have lived these last five months. And this sermon in some ways is a way of thanking all of those here who were such an important part of having me feel that redemption. In August, as I celebrated a milestone birthday and prepared to welcome a new class of rabbinical school students, I thought the biggest challenge that we had to figure out was the ever-changing COVID guidelines that would help us determine if we could indeed continue with our plans to have in-person instruction. I was also preparing for a wonderful high holiday pulpit at Valley Beth Shalom, that place in the valley. And in the middle of all that, I learned that literally in the middle of all that, just quick sidebar, I, I learned it and then walked in to talk to new rabbinical students for an hour and a half about everything they needed to do, know about the academic program with five minutes in between. So it was literally right before that. I learned that what my doctors originally thought was fluid in my ear was actually what my neurosurgeon later called an embarrassment of spontaneous abnormalities of the bone in my skull, which caused migrating brain tissue, bone erosion, and fluid leaks from the area of protection around the brain. So to prevent seizures and brain infection, I had to undergo brain surgery immediately following Yom Kippur. One surgery led to a second, also unexpected just a couple weeks later. Thank God, thank God, thank God. As I stand here, I am okay and well on the way to 100% recovery. And as I am sure you can imagine, as I heard words like brain surgery, seizures, and meningitis, I reacted and it wasn't a positive reaction. In those early days, I agonized with whom to share, how to share. I knew that I believed in the power of prayer, not necessarily because I think God chooses to heal me because of Misha Berach being said, but because of the strength it gives to me and to those around me to help me. But I decided to be completely transparent and began sharing my story with others. I can't tell you exactly what I expected, but let me tell you what the response was, because I think it's a testament not only to the goodness of people, but to literally the hand of God reaching down towards me in this time. A hand that, as Boober said, I know I chose to accept. From that moment until even today, the number of phone calls, the number of emails, the number of offers of help the numbers of people saying, let me drive you to appointments, even after I was cleared to drive myself, the flowers, the gifts, the notices of tzedakah donations, the offers to stay with me or have me stay with other people, 
people asking if they could run errands, the meals, the meals that were arranged, the meals that just showed up, people I know and some that I don't even know letting me know that they were holding my name in Misha Berach and that their entire community was praying for me, colleagues offering sermons or classes that I could use in my work because I wouldn't, so that I wouldn't have to um, overexert myself, or even offered to teach my classes, which I was scheduled. So much pure love, so much pure given, giving. And my doctors tell me that they expect I'll be okay. And because I'm actually an optimist, I am believing them. But what I'm talking about today isn't just optimism and it's not just kindness. My experience of what is happening and has happened for me is nothing short of redemptive, of knowing how firmly grounded I am, of knowing what it means to be surrounded by people who are amazingly powerful um, messengers of God. In describing what was happening in my brain, part of what the doctors explained to me was that the migration of the brain tissue into areas it didn't belong was sort of like when the foundation of a house sinks into the ground and needs repair. And yet I can tell you that never have I ever, and that's not the game, never have I ever, never have I ever felt more grounded or more firm in my own foundation on this planet because the spark of light overshadowed any darkness and I felt and feel connected, whole and forever transformed. Yes, I had brain surgeries and that was scary and it continues to be scary because it could happen again. There are some very real risks yet, no matter what, I am firmly planted in a life-affirming world that radiates light. I feel God's hand touching, reaching down through prayer, through others, through many of you here. Awake and aware, I can tell you that I am reaching back up and allowing this connection, the one to others and to God, to hold me and direct me. I know that I'm not alone in having had to deal with strong, hard things. And I know that I'm not the only one who sometimes feels like life's storms are brewing. We don't have any choice but to weather them. We all experience pain and darkness. Bad things do happen. To be human is to understand that sometimes we will suffer. Still, I wanna tell you that darkness is not and does not have to be the end of the story. Within the holy mess, there are brilliant moments of clarity and purpose. We can choose faithfulness. If we reach up towards the hand that is reaching down to us, we can find a path of meaning. By anchoring ourselves with God, with tradition, with community, with love and prayer, by not hiding from the darkness or getting stuck behind claims of whether it's fair or not, we are called to a light that holds us in possibility and love. We are called towards our own redemption. For me, this has become a renewed understanding of why it is that we're called each and every morning to recite the song of the sea.
the song of redemption of our people at the lip of the sea when they exited Egypt. Because redemption is right in front of us. The sea is right there. It's not far away. It's here and now and in the every single day moments. Shabbat Shalom. Hi, it's Rabbi Brous again. Thank you so much for listening. Want more content like this? I hope you'll subscribe and please consider making a contribution to Ikar so we can continue to work toward the fulfillment of our mission to reanimate Jewish life, to embody moral courage, to nurture the spirit, and to work to decipher what it means to be a human being in the world today. Visit our website at ikar.org. That's I-K-A-R.org. And I hope to see you maybe even in person sometime soon.